to Baking with House of Bread, and I am your host, Sheila McCann. So today we are on ciabatta, and ciabatta actually translates to slipper bread. But I think of it more as a pillow bread. And after you bake ciabatta, it will look somewhat like a pillow. So it's more wide, it's not a high loaf, and it's rectangular shaped, and there's some fluffiness to it. And it, I really like my ciabatta to round up a little bit from the bottom. And that is achieved by shaping the dough flat about an inch thick. And then when you bake it on a hot surface, it should come up from the bottom. It'll, what happens is the dough pulls up on the edges as it expands during the oven spring. So the end result, it should look like a fluffy pillow. Ciabatta and focaccia are both Italian breads and they're often confused for each other. So ciabatta and focaccia are different in their makeup and the main difference is, is ciabatta bread is formed into loaves while focaccia is more of a, a, a it's a flatbread that usually has a sweetener in it and, and it will also have oil. And ciabatta typically does not contain any fat and that's what creates the very chewy texture while focaccia typically has oil in its dough and it creates more of a softer texture. And both of these breads have been the rage. I remember, whatever it was, about 10, 15 years ago, you know that uh, a type of bread reached the pinnacle of popularity when you start seeing it on like fast food concepts, such as, I just remember Burger King, you know, marking their, whatever, their burger on ciabatta bread. I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't ciabatta. And when I look at the ciabatta bread that's in the grocery store, especially the rolls. Well, first of all, they're obviously machine made and they don't come up on the edges. <laughs> and I, and I kind of have to be careful about judgment here. Um, not that machines are bad. I mean, we all use them, right? We've got an oven for sure. And some of us use mixers and we certainly do in the bakery. So it's not really the machines that bother me. Uh, it's more of the compromise in the process that happens commercially. Uh, and the use of, either cheap and cheaper flours or bad ingredients it's really all in the name to make more money i have a business you know so i am i am a capitalist <laughs> and i understand the need for profit but the issue is is that they don't really care about health and and they don't care about bread's reputation and i really i do and i want to hear people tell me how bread's bad for you well that's that's yeah right the type of bread you're eating because that's true, because 98% of Americans buy their bread in the grocery stores or big warehouse stores like, you know, Costco and Sam's Clubs. I would like to see people buy real bread from local bakeries such as House of Bread or make it themselves. I mean, that's kind of the whole goal, this whole podcast. I mean, sure, I'm trying to get exposure for House of Bread, you know, sell some online baking classes and recipe books. But really, it's really not about that. It's more of... I want to expose more people to the art of making bread or science or whatever you want to call it. And that's also one of the reasons that my recipes are not by weight, the volume. So, you, you know, the cups, the tablespoons and teaspoons, um, because most people in America, that's what they have in their cupboards already. So they usually come to the, you know, from baking cookies or whatever. And, and so it's much easier for them to get over that hurdle, not making them buy a scale to weigh stuff out. 
is to just get them measuring the best they can. And really, they're going to learn. They're going to learn if they measure by cups and not weigh it out. They're going to learn what that dough is going to feel like. They're going to get the end result. And even if it's not perfect, it's going to be better what they can buy in the grocery store. I want to help people start on that journey and get them down there. But I will tell you that, yes, it is more accurate to weigh ingredients out and you'll get more consistency. And when you get into some of the complicated breads, it can really help like troubleshoot a little bit. So it's not such a bad thing, but it, I get a little bit irritated when I um, see that, oh, no, you have to measure or you have to weigh out your ingredients. You know, if you want to bake bread, you know, you have to weigh it out. Well, that's not true. I mean, they, they didn't have scales <laughs> back in the day, right? I mean, bread's been around for centuries. So if you think of it that way, just... I wouldn't worry too much about that or get caught up in that debate. Um, as long as you're baking bread, you're going to be learning from every opportunity and every result. And I'm sure it's going to taste great. Okay, so now I said, don't worry about being the right or wrong way. But I will tell you that there's some things that are more right, like in the sense of um, ciabatta, it's a two-day process. And so the ingredients is just flour, water, yeast, and salt. We do a hard crusted class and um, that is where we teach French bread and ciabatta. And it's fun class to teach because the recipes have the exact same ingredients. Just those four pillars of bread, flour, water, yeast, and salt. The difference is, is the time. Okay, so the fermentation, whatever. And if you just throw together flour, water, yeast, and salt and bake it off, I can tell you it's not going to taste that great. Um, it's going to taste flat and it's not going to really have that much texture. So when you're just using those four ingredients, you kind of need more time involved in the process to, to uh, coax out flavor, if you will. That's different. Like from my grandma's white recipe, that recipe has honey. So honey is going to add some flavor. Or like, for example, my garden herb recipe, which I don't think I've done yet. I'll do that at some point. But it has a bunch of herbs in it and sun-dried tomatoes and carrots and sunflower seeds. And that's where you're getting the flavor. So it's not a time process. For ciabatta, which is flour, water, yeast, and salt, you need to have two days. And we use what's called a poolish. And it's basically a pre-ferment and similar to like a sourdough starter is, or a bigger, uh, it's just more liquid. And um, so it's a hundred percent hydration, meaning um, one cup of flour versus one cup of water where your biggas are more dough like, right? So it's more flour than, um, water. And it usually has a longer, longer fermentation time. The poolish being wetter, it ripens quicker. And how do you tell if it's ripe? Got a lot of nice bubbles on top. Okay, so for the first day, you're going to make your poolish. And it's one cup of water, just relatively warm water, not hot, but just kind of lukewarm. And then a cup of white bread flour. The higher protein flour is what I'd like you to use. And then one teaspoon of yeast. So a very small amount. And, and then you just mix it with your hands is what I would recommend. And that's what we do. Even we do bigger batches at the bakery. So we're doing like six pounds of flour and six pounds of water. And we mix it by hand. 
and then you want to cover it with a towel and then just let it sit at room temperature going to tell you 12 to 24 hours you've got a little more wiggle room in there and and it could be that the temperature in your house and whatever else it could be in eight hours you're starting to see it ripen um i wouldn't do use less than eight hours in fact i would probably err on the side of a little longer how we work at the bakery is that i have the baker okay let me just back up here a second when i first got this recipe how i went about it is that there was a bakery in Santa Barbara, California, which is 90 miles from my home. And I really like their ciabatta and I like their French baguettes and some other things. So I, um, well, I basically talked them into, um, lending me their baker and I paid their baker or maybe I paid them. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but they came and they, um, taught us how to make the ciabatta and the French baguettes. They told us to do 12 hours of a poolish. Well, it just doesn't work because in my business, then I would be having the night crew, you know, the retail people, you know, we have what's called a water meter. So you put in there like how many pounds of water and what temperature and dispenses it. So then we'd have to train the retail people and they're just, I mean, they're pretty transient in some ways. I mean, there's a little bit higher turnover in retail. Most of them are, you know, younger people and, so I didn't want to like have to train them how to make a poolish. And then sometimes they would forget. And then the baker would come in and be no poolish. We had ciabatta on our schedule. So I decided forget that. So we're going to extend our poolish. And so I have the baker make the poolish before they leave. And they typically leave around 11 a.m., 1130, somewhere in there. So when they leave and then when they come in, they have to do some mixes to get the store ready. And then I wanted to do ciabatta somewhere around the 7 a.m. mark. And so it ends up being closer to about 20 hours. And we produce really good ciabatta in that range. Um, and if it ends up going you know, 24 hours, I think you're going to be fine. But it, we also found that if you didn't use the poolish within 24 hours, by the next day, it's flat, right? So it deflates. And what's that's going to result? It's a real, it's kind of almost like a, you're, your ciabatta is too thin, right? You don't get those big, nice holes in it that I kind of want. Try to stick into the 12 to 20 hour range. And for whatever reason, if you can't make your ciabatta the next day and you made your poolish, then stick it in the refrigerator, okay? Because that's going to delay some of the activity in it. And so hopefully it won't deflate on you and you can use it the following day. Then the next day, which is day two, you're going to add to your poolish a teaspoon of yeast, a teaspoon of salt, two cups of warm water, and it's relatively warm. Okay, so if I have to give you a degree, I'd probably say somewhere around, oh, 80 degrees. I, I almost would recommend that you start with one and a half cups of water first, and then you can add more later as needed, and then three cups of your white bread flour. Keep it, I'm going to put this recipe in the show notes so you will have it as a reference point. And if you're using a mixer, and we do use a mixer to make our um, ciabatta bread. It, well, we make a lot at one time. So you, it's, it's, a, it's a big mix to be stretched and folded. <laughs> it would be really difficult. Like I said, about three-fourths of the water add. So in this recipe, it's one and a half a cups of water, your flour, salt, and yeast. And then you mix it on a, like a medium speed on your mixer. It's about nine to 12 minutes. It's pretty hard to over mix this dough. So uh, it's uh, the different 
end of the range. Like spelt bread, you can overmix really easily. Um, but ciabatta is a little bit harder because it's not a ball. So it doesn't get into that nice dough ball that, you know, your more traditional loaves are. Um, it should um, still, when you're mixing it, what you're going to see is you're going to see about a third of the dough is on the dough hook. So it's catching on the dough hook. And the rest of it is kind of sticks in the bottom. So it's it's pretty wet. But I don't want it soupy. You may not need to add the rest of the water. Or you might have to. So I don't want it to be a duck but dough where you can put your hand in it and it'll you know push back at you. So it should be... If you think of it this way as a super thick pancake batter, that's kind of more what a, a ciabatta is. And if you're hand shaping, you'll find it isn't like the traditional knead where you, you know, you push with the palms of your hands and then you can do a quarter turn and pick up again and push. No, it's more of a stretch and fold method. And it is going to be super sticky, right? So this is a higher hydration dough. What I do is I just stick my hands before I start the stretch and fold. I just stick it in the flour. So I stick it in some flour and then it's not going to stick as readily to your hands. And so then I begin, basically I'm taking my dough and I'm pulling and stretching the dough and then I fold it. And then after a while, you'll notice that it starts to be less sticky and it starts to get a little bit even more smooth on you. And so developing the dough will take often take less time by hand, I find, with the stretch and fold method than a mixer. Because mixers really aren't designed for these really wet doughs. I mean, they're kind of more designed for um, the stiffer doughs. And so that's why you end up having... Like, so, so, for example, when we put our ciabatta on the mixer, it's generally mixing for about 12 minutes. If we're doing other breads, it's somewhere between like six to eight minutes by the mixer. And if you're doing it by hand, think of somewhere in the range of eight to ten minutes. And like I said, you're not going to over mix it. So go ahead and you know go to the higher end, the ten minutes, let's say. And you're going to do folds in this dough. So you're going to come back later. So you're going to have some more mixing time, you know, in periodically. And so that's the fermentation part of this dough. So you, you take your dough after you do your stretch and folds initially, and you want to put it in a sprayed container, right? So I don't, it doesn't stick because you got to get in there and do another stretch and fold later and cover it with a lid. And I recommend spraying the bottom of the lid that's going to be facing the dough because in case the dough touches the, the lid and you, you don't really want that to happen. So try to get a big enough container. And, and the other key thing about these containers, they need to be flat that will allow the dough to spread. Um, so if you think of something like a lasagna pan, it doesn't have to be that shape of a rectangle, but it has to be more wide than high. We have big plastic tubs, which we use in the bakery. And they're about 30 inches long and about, oh, about eight inches high or maybe even six inches. That's what we use. What happened was is that one of my bakers, her ciabatta was turning out more like a cracker type thing. And I'm thinking, what the heck she do with this, this thing? So I'm okay, what'd she do? She over-fermented it somehow? Like her poolish was flat and deflated? Uh, so what, what's the deal? No, what happened was she was leaving the dough in the mixing bowl. 
our mixing bowls are big and they're deep. It, the dough had too much weight. And so it wasn't activating properly. It was getting weighed down by all the rest of the dough on top of it. And so anyways, it would produce uh, too flat of a ciabatta. And I want holes in my ciabatta. <laughs> so I, so that's what I'm kind of going for. And if you think of it this way, it's kind of like a French baguette. I'm like a really good French baguette, in my opinion, has more holes in it and, and then a nice crust. I mean, I really like French baguettes for their crust, not for the middle of it. In the ciabatta, um, not quite the same, but similar in the sense that I do want to develop those holes. Okay, so you're going to let the ciabatta in that dish, it's going to sit there, oh, for about 30 minutes or so. And then you're going to take your dough and you're going to put it on a well-floured surface. And you just basically fold the dough into thirds and place it back in, the, in your container for about 45 minutes. You can do it in the container too, quite frankly, is that I stopped putting it on the table. But that's how I was trained. <laughs> but I decided that yeah, I'm just going to leave it in the tub and it works just fine. Um, but you do have to transfer it from the mixing bowl to a flatter container. That's absolute. And, and like I have said in a previous podcast, I, I try to figure out where I can cut some time and not compromise any of the flavor of the product. Um, and I can tell you that you can save yourself the time of putting it on a floured table. You can just do the folds in the container, but you have to. And remember, I'm not an absolute person. So there's very few things that are 100% in baking. Uh, but with the ciabatta, I'm 100% telling you, you got to take that dough out of a mixing bowl because mixing bowls are too deep and put it into a flatter container. Okay, so then you can just do your fold right there. Just take each end and put it into each other. So you're just, it, it's a its a simple process. I mean, literally it's taking you 20 seconds. You just kind of fold it. And then when in doubt, stop folding it and then let it sit there for about 45 minutes. And then you're going to repeat the process. So you're doing another fold. And then you let it sit there for another 45 minutes and you do it one more time. So you're getting, in the process there's, there's three folds and after the folding process, the dough will ferment for about 45 minutes. So the total you're in there is about two hours and 45 minutes or three hours. And so when in doubt, go longer, not less. And um, so the three hour range. And if you end up getting diverted with whatever happens in life, you can try doing your fold. Like if it ha it's okay if you do your folds every hour, not 45 minutes. And if you have to extend it to, it's like five hours, that's fine. Um, but I don't want you to go to any less than two and a half hours of these fermentations. And you want to break it up to the, the three folds too. And, and the reason why is because I want that flavor developed and I want to have a strong dough in not just flavor, but also too in development. And so that it can, you know, spread out and spread, it spreads up a bit too. So it does get puffier. And if it doesn't get puffier at all, then there, you, you screwed up somehow with an overdeveloped poolish or you like what happened to my baker's, let it sit in the mixing bowl. 
So try to stick to that range. So two and a half to five hours and no, trying to go no more or no less. And ideally you're at about the three hour mark. And you can also add in other flavors. It's perfectly acceptable <laughs> to add in whatever flavors you like. Um, and why I say that, because sometimes it's like, oh, that's not a traditional ciabatta. I'm like, no, but it sure tastes pretty good. I mean, that's kind of the whole point here, right? So we will have, if we do a, a plain ciabatta, we'll do another tub. And so we'll kind of split up the doughs. So we'll put half in one tub, another half in another tub. We'll add flavoring to one of the tubs. And so some of the varieties that we've came up through the years is an olive one. And so in that one, we, it would, I would recommend about, if you're going to do this whole recipe, you know, one and a half cups of olives, just drain them. We, we use a canned olives, but you can certainly use fresh. You can use olives, you can use black olives, you can use whatever olives you want, green olives. But we use black olives because we happen to have black olives on hand already because we do a sandwich, an Italian grinder. Coincidentally, it's an Italian sandwich and with black olives. Four cloves of garlic, and you want to finely chop them. And the reason why is because I want it to disperse. And if you're going to use granulated garlic, think of more of around, oh, about two tablespoons. If you're going to use dried garlic, I want it uh, hydrated first. Hydrate your garlic in some olive oil or something. Or actually, to tell you the truth, you can just mix it in with the olives. And then we add a tablespoon of rosemary. And it can be ground or fresh. I almost prefer if you're going to use, and I have a huge amount of rosemary bushes around my house. <laughs> so it's easy for me to get uh, fresh rosemary. But it's almost, it, it's pretty powerful. So one of those needles is a lot of flavor. So in this dough, I almost recommend that you chop up, chop it up more so, so that the flavor gets more dispersed. Because I want you to be able to taste the actual base of the bread too. And if you have too much rosemary in a bite, then that's what you're tasting. And I don't want it to be rosemary bread. I want it to be a black olive. Garlic is something I want there, but I don't want it f flavor forward. I don't want the first thing you taste. And then the other version that we do is a sun-dried tomato and garlic and feta cheese. And if you'll notice, <laughs> I use a lot of garlic in my recipes. I also happen to cook this way. And I had someone... A customer come in one time and say, why is there garlic in all your breads or cinnamon? And I kind of had to laugh because I happen to like those. I like garlic and I like cinnamon. Maybe not together, but I tend to have them in a lot of my recipes. But if you don't like garlic, you don't need to put it in there. And so the other version we'll do is we do one and a half cups of sun-dried tomatoes and then uh, we'll use like four cloves worth of garlic and once again, finely chopped and one and a half cups of feta cheese. And so where we're adding this in, this is after you knead your dough, do your stretch and fold, whatever you want to call it. And then you put it in your container and it sits there for half an hour. Now, when we do our three folds, we, I put the layer of all that ingredients on the top and I fold it in. And so I'm not folding it so it's 100% all consistent throughout the dough because I don't want it overwork. So just give it, um, you know, just a couple folds and then you're going to come back to it and you're going to fold again, right? 45 minutes later and then you're going to do it again. So you're going to get enough folding in this thing that the ingredients are going to be relatively well distributed 
uh, by the end when before you put it into the oven. So now the dough has gone through the fermentation process. So here's where you have to put it on a well-floured table. <laughs> and I do like it on a, a super, a, a counter or a table, whatever it is. And I want it floured because you're going to stretch the dough out. And I, I uh, don't want it sticking to the surface. Because what happens when it sticks, to get it, when you unstick it, it kind of uh, deflates the dough a little bit. And I don't really want that. So I, I, I want to handle this less and it's just easier to get it into the shape you want if your surface is well floured. And so the characteristics of this bread is there are air pockets. And so when I put it on the table, sometimes there'll be a little bit of bubble. Well, don't deflate that. Let that, let that be. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. What you want to prep in advance. Okay, we use what's called, they're basically peel boards. It's a wooden shape it's the same shape as a as a uh, sheet pan and we put cornmeal and flour on it and the reason i like cornmeal because i like the look of it and it it really is a good anti-sticking agent so i prefer i mean trust me we have to go buy cornmeal just just to do it for this bread and i don't like buying extra ingredients but i do find it's worth it for the cornmeal and i also use some flour too because sometimes you don't have enough cornmeal and anyway both of them combined seem to work well as an anti-sticking agent at home you're not going to have these peel boards or maybe you do but if you don't you don't need to go buy them what you want to do is just take some a cookie sheet up, put it upside down and you're going to put that layer that cornmeal and flour on there and distribute it to the so because what's going to happen here is you're going to put your dough on it so you're going to put your dough on it and then you're going to transfer that into a upside down cookie sheet in your oven that has been preheated. So your cookie sheet is upside down and it's hot. And then you're going to transfer from your dough from your upside down cookie sheet <laughs> that isn't hot and you're going to kind of shush it out. I call it shushing. Um, and so if you think of it like it, you shush it onto that hot surface. And that's one of the keys of getting a hard crust is to having a, the dough bake on a hot surface and then you're going to inject your steam. Okay, ciabatta is not going to bake in a Dutch oven. You know, Dutch ovens have a lid so they naturally capture the steam that emits from your dough while it's baking. In this case, what you want to do is transfer your, your dough onto that hot surface and then bake it. We're going to get back to, sh to this but later, a little bit later. I'm going to talk a little bit more about injecting steam in your oven. But at, at this point, what I want you to think about the shape of your ciabattas. And I, how I train people at the bakery is, well, we have these paper bags that ciabattas got to go in. So I want it an inch smaller on us, all sides that's, so it fits in the bag. And the ciabatta bags, basically, they're more rectangle. So they're not a baguette shape. It's a rectangle. And you can also do ciabatta rolls. They're, they're usually more of a smaller rectangle, kind of like, like five inches by three inches. Or if you want to do them six by two, I mean, whatever shape you want your sandwich to be in. And um, so we'll do some of those. How we measure that out is I just use our bench scraper. So I take our bench scraper and kind of get an idea. That's what our ciabatta rolls are. Our loaves are more like a shape of a piece of paper. So it's like eight by eight and a half by 11 or... You know, if you want to do it eight by 11 or eight by 12, but however you want it 
to look. Then what we do is we put those on the peel boards, or in your case, if you don't have peel board, just put it on a, a well cornmeal floured upside down cookie sheet. And then it sits there for a half an hour. I want it relaxing a little bit. So it gets another half hour of proofing or fermenting or whatever you want to call it. And so let it sit out there for about half an hour. And then it kind of comes back to life a little bit. Because remember when you shape it, it does deflate some of the air in there. And I kind of want it to build back up. Um, but you don't want it to go too long because then it, it'll deflate just with time. <laughs> Try to stick to that half hour window. And if your house is colder... It might take more like 40 minutes. And if your house is, you know, warmer, it could be more like 20 minutes. And if you're like a normal person and your house is around, I don't know, like 70 degrees, just, just shoot for the half an hour there. You make sure before you put your dough in the oven, you kind of want to gently pick it up, right? Because you don't want to manhandle ciabatta. And you kind of move your dough that's on your well-floured cookie sheet or peel board and you're moving it around because you want to know if it's going to stick. I want to know if it's going to stick there rather than have the oven door open when it's a 450 degree oven. It's hot. <laughs> and so I don't really like trying to fix the loaves in there. Your, your, your danger of getting burned increases exponentially. So move your dough around on that surface before you put it in the oven and make sure it moves on you. And then you open up your oven door and you just try to move that dough off the sheet and you kind of move the sheet back and forth getting it to come off and if you think of visualize someone making a pizza so they got that long peel board right with a pizza sitting on top of it and they kind of just deposited it in the on the floor of the oven really quickly and the and the pizza slides off that and so that's hopefully what's happening with your ciabatta then it may take a, a little bit getting it, but remember in a 450 degree oven, the pan that you preheated in there that's upside down, that's hot. And if you don't want to use a pan, if you've got you've got stones already or tiles in your oven, I mean, even better than you don't have to, you know, because that's actually what we do in the bakery. And it, so it bakes right on that hot surface is kind of the key thing. And so some people get too caught up in, oh, is, a, is it aluminum or is it a steel sheet pan or what's better, tile or blah, blah, blah. It's negligible differences. The key is it's a hot surface. And so you turn your oven on at 450 degrees, then you want to let your dough sit there for about a half an hour after you're shaping, and then it'll be plenty hot enough by then. And what you, to do, inject steam which I highly recommend with the ciabatta. It's not 100% necessary, but I highly recommend it because it's going to produce a little bit more of a crustier crust. And that's how I like my ciabatta. Um, a little chewy in the middle and a little bit crusty on the outside. And so to inject steam, you literally just take a spray, like a spray bottle, and you squirt the loaves. So you're squirting right on the dough. You kind of like shoot maybe a little bit above it. And then the other option is you can take a bowl of, you know, it has to be a shallow bowl, obviously, or glass, whatever you want to use. And you put ice cubes in it and then put it in the oven. And that will slowly dissipate and creating steam in your oven. And what we do 
is I like to actually add more steam in after about 10 minutes of baking. So after 10 minutes of baking, I'll throw in, what we do is we have a spray bottle, we spray water, but we also, I literally have like a, a cup of water and we have um, solid shelves in our oven. I put my ciabatta and then I'll leave a little bit of room on each side of it. And I literally just throw water right on the um, oven shelf, but it's solid, right? It's not like your home baking ovens. And then the water will produce steam. It's always kind of fun because my baking class students are just sort of, they they, sort of <laughs> they kind of get a little freaked out by just, you know, taking cups of water and throwing them in your oven. But that's exactly what we do, but we have solid shelves. Um, so how you could do that at home is you could put a pan in there and just throw it the water right on a pan. Or just use a spray bottle, that's fine, or the ice method. I mean, the whole thing here is not like one method, it's absolute. Just use one of those methods to try to get some steam in there. So after 10 minutes, I'd repeat it, try to get some more steam in there. If you use ice, I probably wouldn't throw more ice in there unless you want to. You certainly can. And then it's usually going to bake in about 20 minutes at a 450-degree oven. Now, all ovens are different. So if you think that, hmm, I want a little more color on my ciabatta, then go ahead. You know, have it bake a little bit longer. If you want to take the temperature, I'd like this dough to be over 200 degrees. And so dough turns into bread at 180, or actually it's 181 to, to be technical on you. But in this case, I like a little bit harder crust. So I like it to, to go to at least 200. I will tell you though, if you want a super hard crust, sure, you can let it go to a higher temp, but here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna dry out <laughs> a lot quicker. And these spreads don't last that long. You know, my honey whole wheat's gonna last almost two weeks. I'm not kidding. It lasts at least 10 days. I'll guarantee it for seven, but it's people come home with it and it's gonna last. I wanna give them a few days to use it. So all those breads with honey, honey is a natural preservative and extends the shelf life. Um, so this one doesn't have anything in it. And then plus you're baking at a high heat, getting that harder crust. And so your, your shelf life is substantially reduced. So we sell most of our bread the day we bake it and the next day. And it's still good the next day. I mean, it's really good, most of my breads. But okay, on my hard crusted breads, not so much. And that's why one of the reasons that I don't focus on those in my product lineup, and I happen to like harder crusted breads on a personal basis, but here's the problem is, I mean, you really only get one day to sell those. I mean, I'm like a really good French baguette. I mean, it's good for about, you know, three hours. <laughs> and then it gets too hard. And ciabatta, I would say, goes um, really good the first day. Second day, not as good. Um, it just kind of gets dry on you. And um, if you want to go any more than that day, so I would try to plan your ciabatta for the day you're going to eat it or give it away or whatever you're going to do. And then if you want to use it the next day, here's what I would recommend. I'd put it in plastic. And I know... A lot of people think that's sacrilegious to put a hard crust of bread in plastic because what does it do? It makes the crust softer. And that is true. But if your options are a super hard crust that like kind that like might break your teeth and you don't have much flavor in it because the thing's so dried out or a relatively softer crust because you put it in plastic, I think I'm going to take the latter. Perfect world, you're eating your ciabatta all in one day, but we don't live in perfect world. So that's the reality. In the bakery, we put it in a paper bag. But I will tell people if they're not going to have it within, you know, within two days that they're better off putting it in plastic and just leaving it on the counter. 
for suggestions with your ciabatta. I think it's great plain. I honestly, when I, I, um, we get ciabatta out of the oven. It's one of the breads that's hard for me to resist. And so my general rule in the bakery is I can eat hot bread out of the oven <laughs> because otherwise you'd be eating bread all day long. And, uh, you know, especially if you get tired, you know, all your diet discipline goes out the window. <laughs> and if I've had to bake that day, <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. Ciabatta with butter or olive oil to me is tastes really good. And you don't really need to add much else than that. So I would do it, invite some friends out and have a ciabatta eating party, maybe after the pandemic, <laughs> of course, because when parties will return and they will at some point, the ciabatta that already has flavor in it with your, you know, either sun-dried tomatoes or olives. I mean, that's even going to add, that's going to be full of flavor, but I would try this plain first because I really want you to get a sense how you can play around with these fermentation times and really get much different flavor from the exact same ingredients. Maybe different portion, proportions of the ingredients and different ferment times. Um, and then add in some of your add-ins. And so in the recipes I give you, you just want to be careful. You don't want to add in more than two cups of add-ins if you're doing this full recipe because Add-ins don't stick to other add-ins. And so you need to have enough dough in between them to get your loaves to hold up. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we do have a hard-crusted online baking class if you'd like to try that. And I um, do demonstrate a little bit more of the ciabatta in the mixing and the spreading it out on the table. Tell you a little tip on spreading it out. What I do is I put flour on the back sides of my hands and my forearms. And the reason that I want my bakers to do that as well, because you have a tendency you want to grab with your hands and pull. And what does that do? It makes your, where your hands have the dough is thicker and then the middle's thinner and then it tears on you. And by the way, if it does tear on you, just kind of pull it back up together and you'll be fine. Think of it this way, put your dough on that lightly floured surface and this is when you're going to go shape it into your loaves and then slide your, put your flour on the backside of your hands and your forearms and slide your hands underneath it. So your palms are down and you are not going to be gripping this bread. So if you resist that temptation, put your palms underneath the dough and then kind of spread your fingers and then slowly spread the dough and pull out. And you want to get it to about in about an inch thick. And, and hopefully it's more even than not, but don't overwork it. So don't get too worried about it. And that really, that tip actually did help us um, prevent from, from pulling the dough too much. So once again, flour the backside of your hands, palms are facing um, and slide it underneath the dough, spread your fingers and then kind of pull back gently. And, and it'll, you'll find it disperses the dough better than, than grabbing and pulling. My next item up, I am working on my artisan sourdough recipe. I downsized it and it didn't really turn out. So it goes to show you, you know, sometimes these things are like, you think it's just science, right? It's just math. And um, so I calculated it to do for home. Anyway, it's, it certainly tasted good, <laughs> but it, it didn't really, uh, it, it took a lot of adjustments. And anyway, so it is in the work in the progress. It'll be coming up in the future. And if you would like 
to email me and give me any suggestions um, for future topics or, or whatever you'd like me to cover, I would welcome those. And my email is Sheila, S-H-E-I-L-A, at houseofbread.com. And in the show notes, I'll put some links to my website and franchise company and the baking classes and all that kind of good stuff. And I appreciate you listening. So we all are busy and there's a lot of podcasts out there. I do appreciate you listening. And if you want to support the podcast, just tell somebody. You know, if you want to refer it, that'd be great to another baking person. And especially if they never bake bread, because I really do try to make these podcasts um, a little easier and, you know, kind of take out a lot of the mystique around bread baking so that more people will do it. And honestly, that's what I want. I want more people baking bread (laughs) or coming to House of Bread. I mean, that would be a good thing too. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, everybody, happy baking. (laughs) 